Mac Power Users, episode 597, A Ray of Sunshine with Brett Burney. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Welcome to the Mac Power Users, where I am joined every week by your friend and mine, Mr. Stephen Hackett. Hey, David. How are you? Good. Good. It's uh, it's always fun talking to you. And today we have someone else joining with us. Welcome to the show, Brett Burney. <laughs> Thank you. It is an honor to be here. I feel like this is my my Oprah moment, although I'm not a prince and I don't know Dr. Phil either. But thank you so much for having me on. Uh, Brett, what are you talking about? So Brett Burney is <laughs> like he is the super nerd of the legal community, guys. It's like I've been to some of these legal conferences and people are like, I heard Brett Burney's going to be here. Is Brett Burney coming? <laughs> And it's like, Brett Bernie's coming, you know? So, so uh, Brett is, uh, he speaks a lot to lawyers about how to use Apple technology. Um, I thought we had had you on the show. And then when I went back in my notes, I realized we had you on the show to talk about a legal conference. We haven't had you as a right. proper guest, Brett. And a shame on me. But anyway, <laughs> I'm, I'm really glad you agreed to come on. And uh, you don't need to turn off your dial, gang. We're not going to talk about being lawyers today. Uh, yeah, Brett, please, Brett, please. Right. <laughs> yeah, Brett gives a lot of good advice to people that are not lawyers, too. So, uh, But he does have a real knack for teaching people how to use this technology. And I thought it'd be great to have him on the show. We're going to talk about presenting with your iPad and comparisons of some of the office suites and all sorts of stuff that people need to do with their tech these days. So, so Bretta, once again, I'm just so happy you came on. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate it. I'm looking forward to this. Before we get started, Stephen, how's the Kickstarter going? Uh, it's going really well. Uh, it's really just continued to grow every day. And so we are at, um, you know, approaching a, a thousand backers here before yeah. too long is time of recording, which is really mind blowing. So thank you all for uh, backing it. And um, I got some fun stuff coming. So I'm working on a designer with some stickers for the high end tier. Nice. And uh, I've got a treat maybe for all backers that I'll be uh, announcing pretty soon. So continuing to improve it. But yeah, I'm I'm super psyched. Yeah, it's that's really awesome. I just went and visited a client and they had a calendar hanging on the wall that mm-hmm. I was pretty sure was going to get them sued. So I took it off the wall and threw it in the trash. And he's like, what are you doing? And I said, you can't have this on your wall. But I did tell him about your Kickstarter. So maybe next time I go, he'll have pictures of Max on the wall. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. yeah. I think it should be just a service that, that you provide for your clients. So yes. you know, you can order like a bunch of them and hand them there out. There you them. go. I could go and take all the calendars off walls that might get you sued and put on calendars that won't. I love it. There we go. Um, it's a service. It's a, it's service. a good business model. I like Yeah. That. And then we also have more, more power features <laughs> today. Um, uh, Brett has been going in deep on the iOS 15 iPad beta. Brett's a big power user on iPad. So we thought that it'd be fun to kind of check in on iPad now that we, kind of the initial shock of what happened. I mean, a lot of people were expecting a lot more, but then they start using it like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty good. And so everybody's a little torn on this, this iOS 15 beta. So that's going to be the fodder for conversation at the end of the show today on more power users. Anyway, Brett, tell us a little bit about yourself. Oh, my. <laughs> well, like I said, I've been a longtime listener and a, a follower of both of you gentlemen. And it's just great to uh, to be in your presence. And thank you for talking. But it's exciting also because I have been using computers for quite a while. I know, David, every time you and I talk, it seems like we find another 
way that our our pasts have uh, been similar. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my first computer past. was a. Exactly, exactly, which which I, I love and treasure. My, my very first computer was the TRS-80. I remember very fondly, uh, you know, 10, print Brett, 20, go to 10, you know, the very basic yeah. uh, programs on that. I uh, was fortunate to, to upgrade to an Apple IIc. I think it had to be maybe 86, 87. I, I remember my grandmother bought it for me because she never let me forget how much she had to pay for it at the time. But that was just an amazing computer. And I remember specifically that was I was actually in high school at the time, but all my other friends had Commodore 64s. <laughs> so we had we had the battles in school. Like, you know, some people, yeah. I guess, talk about football and, you know, sports. But no, we were on the nerd side. So we were arguing which was better, the Apple side or the Commodore 64 side. Uh, and of course... I was always a huge proponent of the app of the Apple two C, but I remember there was one like print program that I use. I, I don't think it was paint shop. I think it was print shop is what it was called. Yeah. Way back in the day. I remember that. Loved using that. Yeah. Yeah. I loved oh, that it. My, no, my dad, my dad was in newspaper. So he would, he, 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 um, designed advertisements and stuff like with the old, if anybody has done this with the wax, right? He had a wax machine and a roller. Yeah. So to me, that was just amazing that I could do, something that looked even better than what he did, but on a computer instead. But that was great. And I remember I also had, I think it was called the, the Image Writer 2. If you remember that, it was a huge honking printer, but it was so beefy. I just remembered it was so, it was heavy. It wouldn't move even though, you know, it was like going back and forth yeah, all the time. It, had, matrix, this huge, yeah. it yeah. had the huge roller on the side. I mean, that thing was just a beast. I loved that thing. And, you know, none of my friends, I don't think, even had a printer. If they did, it was much, much less than that. But very fond memories growing up working on those uh, those early computers. And ever since then, I've I've been a Mac user. I still have to dabble in the Windows world uh, just because of what I do. And obviously, most lawyers and most professionals I work with today are still in the Windows world. But always, I'm always using the, the Mac side. Yeah, I remember when I was a kid, like... We had all these raging battles between Apple, Commodore, and Atari. And yes. it was like it was like the 10 nerds in the school that the only people that would like each other would be the <laughs> 10 of us. So we found a reason to fight with each other over our computer platforms, you know. <laughs> the, uh, but the uh Steven, I don't know. Do you collect Apple IIs? I don't, I don't think I've ever heard you even mention that. Is that a I've thing? Got, yeah, I've got a couple. I have a uh I have an Apple IIc, which is adorable. And I have an Apple IIe that's seen better days. Uh, and I recently picked up an Apple III, which no one needs to talk about. But I, I haven't gotten a lot to spend a lot of time with them. That's something that I hope to do more of in the future because it's a really yeah. cool platform. Yeah. I mean, it was so different going from command line to, to user interface that, you know, the Mac was really a, a, such a change. Where did the Apple II G or GS, GS fit in, Stephen? Yeah, where where did that fit in? Oh boy, we've just already derailed this seven minutes in. It I is love it. It, it was a late entry to the Apple II line, and it kind of had its own operating system. So it had like pull down menus yeah. and stuff like the Mac, but in a super weird way. Uh, I've got one of those too. My two GS doesn't run, which makes me sad. But it's a it's a weird computer. Yeah, I remember that I saw two GS. A friend of mine had one, and I just remember it was snappy. I mean, it felt like yeah, you know, it actually. I mean, like the menu system and everything was very fast compared mm -hmm. to like the first attempts at graphical user interface stuff. 
It's where uh, the Apple desktop busts, which, you know, if you used a beige keyboard or mouse from Apple, oh. that's, a, that's where it showed up. Uh, yeah, the 2GS is kind of a one-off. It's an interesting story. Well, I, I don't mean to derail more, but I, I remember my wife, <laughs> my wife had a 2GS when I met her. So that was one of the many reasons I, I fell in love oh, with that's, her. That's why you married the woman, True right? Love. Pretty much. Well, like she <laughs> did poetry and stuff on it. You know, she was using it in undergrad and we still have it somewhere. And But I remember it must have been maybe six or seven years ago, one of these conferences that David, you mentioned uh, the, uh, that we went to, it was like the 25th anniversary of it. So everybody was invited to bring like some old computers or you know technology and i brought it and it still ran i i don't know if it does again this had to be six or seven years ago but i was just floored that i could i booted up and you know i had to do i had to do the floppy dance right back and forth all the time you know booting everything up or, or loading anything in it but just amazing that the thing was was still running i might have to get it to you somehow Stephen. <laughs> yeah that would be you would be preserve it yeah that's right It'd- I'll give it a little bed. It can sleep in. It'll be fine. Yeah. I mean, it's funny though. um, And I I promise we're almost at the end of the old guy talk, but when you boot up an old machine like that, how like the muscle memory kicks in and you can actually run it, even though you haven't run it for 30 years, it's, it's crazy how that stuff just comes back to you. It was like a flood of old memories because it was, it was fairly similar, a little bit similar to the Apple IIc that I remember, but it was just fun to boot that thing up. Yeah. And so, but then because uh, Brett is an attorney, but he also really mainly, you do tech consulting at this point, you, you know, yeah. his job is yeah. he goes to firms that want somebody that really understands the tech, but also understands the law. But as a result, you know, the legal industry, there's a lot of, of windows there. So you've, you've become adept at that as well over the years. Yeah. I mean, even through, actually, when I went through law school, I remember, I think I had my, my gateway 9100. Which yeah. I think had to weigh like 12 pounds. It was insane. And it had a floppy drive on it too. But it was great. It got me through school. But of course, that was all Windows. So there were periods in my time where I got familiar with it. And I guess I can go, um, am I ambi computer dexterous? Uh, there you go. Because I, I, you have to do that, obviously, you know, in certain roles is where I am. But even when I go to firms today, because so many things, to, you know, it was back in the day when Apple switched over to Intel, right? That was a huge deal for us because I could run Windows. <laughs> Literally, I ran Windows and Mac OS on my Mac. So I only had to take one laptop with me wherever I went. But then now today, so many tools across the world are cloud-based. And so yeah. now people don't even really know <laughs> or care other than there's an Apple on the front of my laptop, but they don't even really know. And that's opened it up for a lot of professionals too, I find, across the board, not just in the legal space. But you can you can access so much more uh, today. Use Macs a lot a lot easier. The Windows versus Mac thing becomes irrelevant when so many of the tools are software as a service over the internet somehow. Exactly. You know? Even like Microsoft Office, right? In in so yeah. many professional settings, even though it's still a little bit of a tweak. But I remember the old days of like you know we had Office 2008 and and you know there was 2007 on the Windows side. You know those days have gone. Like Microsoft obviously has kind of. Synergize or synchronize some of the. There's still some differences in there, but even that, you know, just shows how it pretty much doesn't matter as much anymore these days. What platform that you use? Yeah, and we're going to talk about Office later in the show, but I like I recall um, the Apple Intel transition. Microsoft was yeah. terrible. It was terrible. I mean, they yeah. uh, um, just like typing words into Word 
it was, there was a noticeable delay between pressing the key and having the letter show up on the screen. And, you know, that's not ideal for a word processor. Uh, whereas now with the Intel transition, I think they had a build out before the M1 Mac was like out in the, out in the wild. I mean, they, they were so on top of it. So it is a different world in a lot of ways. The other thing you told me you did that I just have to mention because I think it's so funny is that you did when you're called you did tech support for Compaq. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's how I that's how I got through undergrad. I was doing. Yeah. I remember it was overnight. So yeah. it was at if anybody remembers MCI, which is a phone company, but it was it, I was in the Dallas Fort Worth area. But they, th- you know, the beginnings of like the tech support, and we would be overnight doing Compaq computers. And I learned so much because it was overnight. So it wasn't like we were always busy. So I got to surf and program and do all kinds of stuff. And we played games, I'm sure, as well. But it was good to just really give me a lot of insight into, you know, learning how computers worked. We were kind of first tier, I guess, support, if you were, as it were. And I moved up. But anyway, it was it was a lot of fun at the time to get me to get myself through school. Was that when Compaq was selling those suitcase laptops? It, it literally was like a suitcase with a keyboard. It wasn't attached. quite that old. It wasn't quite yeah. that old. No, <laughs> it was a. It was a lot of like the desktops. If you yeah. you know the old beige desktops with that red Compaq, uh, you know logo oh, yeah. on it. Yeah, not not quite the suitcases, David. <laughs> I could see someone calling you in the middle of the night. Someone's chasing me, and I'd say, "Okay, put your Compaq laptop together now. Hit him over the head with it, and you will kill a man." <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I I just remember the nightmares of registry edits. Right, we had to go in, oh, and registry. I mean, it would just yeah. <laughs> it would just be some of the you know silliest and most ridiculous people calling in, like you know my my DVD won't eject. I mean, just crazy yeah. stuff. But again, I had access to a lot of information, and I just was able to geek out on it, and so it was fun to that extent. Yeah, sure. And now now history lesson over. Where what are you using these days? <laughs> oh well. I am thrilled with the M1 MacBook Pro first and foremost. So I had been I had been leasing a 13-inch MacBook Pro for the last uh, couple of years. So in December that lease ran out. So I just went I was like, okay, normally I would wait, right? Like I, I got to tell you I hate the fact there's only two USB-C slots in here and I knew there's I know it's going to get better. But I had to get it, and I just cannot be happier with this. Just for all the reasons I'm, I know you guys have talked about it, and everyone yeah. else says it's really, it's just insane how speedy it is, how fast it is, and it's just 13 inches, so it's not huge. Although I typically connect it up to a two or three monitors on my desk here, and it just goes. The only time I've ever heard the fan on is I think I was like I was literally converting some movie or something I downloaded from you know MKV to M- MV4 or something like that. And I was using handbrake. And that was the only time that I've ever heard I've ever heard it like come, you know, the fans turn on and and bog down just a little bit, but it still did it just fine. It's been great. I was thinking someone like you, Brett, would actually miss the ability to boot Windows though, because I know a lot of it's on the web, but still a lot of the stuff in the legal industries on on PC. I thought so too, David. Honestly, I've thought about that because, you know, parallels, you know, I used to do the VMware fusion and the parallels and they were kind of fighting back and forth and parallels today, I think is, is probably the best, the better one to go with. And they're doing a great job. And I thought that I would miss it, but I don't, I keep thinking, do I need to get this? And I've got my USB thumb drive somewhere that has, you know, I had several windows, uh, uh, virtual desktops, 10 and windows seven and Vista. I mean, just because mm-hmm. of the different, you know, firms that I would go into and I would boot up anyone that I needed at any time, but 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 I haven't. Again, with Microsoft Office being available, some of the software being available, 
I've been able to just make my way around it. Like I haven't gotten to something that I need to run. Uh, even some of the old legacy type software, David, that you and I remember, you know, with, with lawyers using, so much of that has the ability to run in the cloud as well. So I just, I, I haven't needed it. I got to be a lawyer for a second, Brett. Is Case Map still PC only? It is. Yeah, it yeah, sure is. It yes, is. sir. <laughs> Case Map? All right. Yeah. I, I'm afraid to ask yeah. this, but tell me yeah. about Case Map. <laughs> I, well, back, back when I did litigation, it, it's, it's, a, it's a relational database where you can track witnesses right. and evidence right. and documents. It's a really powerful trial tool. And, and I, uh, every Mac developer that wants to get into the web, to the, to the legal business that writes me, I send them an email. I think it's a text expander snippet at this point, go look at case map and make a version for the web or for the Mac, please. Yeah. And no, nobody's ever taken me up on it. But anyway, I just curious, I don't do litigation anymore, so I don't need it, but the, uh, it was a great tool. You know, the other thing quickly, I just add for some of those firms that do have some of those legacy, I call them legacy, not in a negative way, but it's like their legacy in the sense that they need a server to run and everything. But a lot of them today are, I don't know what the proper term is, but most of their desktops are cloud-based, right? So I work with organizations and larger law firms. And so even if I do run against something like that, many times the firm just supplies me the ability to, it's not really the the Citrix log on like it used to be, sometimes it is still, but I can get access to those pieces of software from whatever cloud-based infrastructure that they have in place, or they typically have a service provider that does that for them. So I'm able to get around it that way too. Yeah. I mean, and the thing you have to remember is these days, uh, it is a real option for gamers to buy an online access to a gaming PC where you can just, you know, pay so many dollars a month. And there's a fancy gaming PC at the other end of the internet that feeds you your games. So if right. people and games are the most processor heavy, you know, stuff that you're going to do, if people are doing games over the internet, you can absolutely like rent a PC if you need to run it for your Mac. And uh, I, I, fortunately, I don't need that, but the options are there now more than ever combined with what you're saying earlier about the web web stuff um, on the M1 though, Brett, um, as someone who's been, you know, using it since a TRS 80 um, what was the biggest surprise for you with the M1? I, I know you read the specs going in, but you know sometimes yeah. there's a difference intellectually and then in your heart when you're you've got the machine on your desk. It just keeps going back to response time for me. Just the fact that I click it, and you know it's things like th- this has always happened throughout the years, right? We used to say the best thing you can do is upgrade your RAM because it's going to make it faster. And then the best thing to do was to put an SSD uh, drive into your into your uh, computer, whatever it was. And that made it made, made a huge difference. And it's just the incremental changes, which you don't recognize. Like before I had the MacBook Pro for the last two years, I was still using a 2011 MacBook Air, Ooh. which, by the way, my daughter is still using right now for online classes, which obviously doesn't have a lot of overhead and, you know, it can't be upgraded anymore. But it is still going. It's just amazing that it's 10 years, but I don't realize how fast and responsive my M1 is until I have to sit down at her computer and, you know, try to find something or or help her with something. And I'm just like, my goodness, I can't stand this. So I know that's, that's very trivial, but it just continues to amaze me how responsive everything is. Even to the point now where something that's not native M1 or, you know, there's a couple of still, even Microsoft Office, (laughs) It needs to be even quicker jumping up. I know they've made improvements on that. I'm not sure it's completely native M1 support just yet, but I'll even recognize now when some apps don't <laughs> open in probably like, you know, two tenths of a nanosecond or something. And it just aggravates me a little bit. 
But yeah. overall, that to me is still just whatever I click, whatever I jump on, the fact that my AirPods connect quicker to it, you know, everything along those lines. Yeah, I, whenever someone writes me about this, I just say, don't go look at them unless you've got an extra thousand bucks, because once you touch it, you're probably going to buy it. Yeah, game over. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by 1Password. Go to onepasswordcom MPU to get 20% off your family account. 1Password is the powerful, easy-to-use tool that helps secure you on the internet. One of the big selling points of 1Password is its password generator. And believe it or not, generating random passwords is not as easy as it sounds. There are ways to hack that process, and the bad guys know them all. That's why 1Password has open-sourced its 1Password generator. They're using all of the modern crypto science that they can to make sure your password is actually random and it really does protect you. And that's just one more reason why I use 1Password. The people behind this product are seriously concerned about your privacy. They do things like making sure they have the perfect random password generator. They also look at the websites you frequently use and let you know if there's any compromise. You know, So you know that not only are you protecting your passwords, but if the people you deal with aren't protecting your passwords, they let you know so you can adjust accordingly. The bad guys never sleep, but neither does the team at 1Password. They're always working to help protect you. It's a very worthwhile investment. I just paid for my upgrade for another year for our family, and we all love it. So go check out 1Password at onepasswordcom MPU. Put that in all caps. You get 20% off, and you get all those great benefits of the you know, random password generator, the storage, the ease of use, the, uh, the secure notes where you can put things in your 1Password vault that other people can't see. It's just, you know, a no-brainer for me. So go check it out. Once again, onepasswordcom slash MPU. Let them know you heard about it at the Mac Power Users and start protecting yourself and your family today. Thanks, 1Password, for all of your support of the Mac Power Users. So, Brett, we've, we've been talking about your journey from old computers to the Mac and having to use Windows, some in your profession. And for a lot of people, it's not so much about uh, Windows versus Mac, especially in our audience, right? We're all Mac users. Right, right. But a lot of things come down to things like Office versus Pages. And as someone who I imagine deals with a lot of documents, I'd love to get your input on where you think the two stack up. Yeah, great question. And I and I do see it. Although I will say, Stephen, I don't know how to best say this, but uh, I work more with business professionals, I guess, right? Obviously that's lawyers, but even, you know, accountants, that kind of a thing. And I realized you guys have such an, an amazing wide audience on there. And there's all kinds of folks, especially today, if I go work even at a, uh, well, like with a university, which I've done sometimes as part of my consulting work, but I know everybody there is Google, right? So they use Google Docs. They don't even, they don't even care about Microsoft Word, that kind of a thing. So in the professional world, though, certainly in the legal space that David and I work in or, or still have to work in sometimes, Microsoft Word, Microsoft Office is the king. It used to be Word Perfect. <laughs> uh, and we still know, both David and I know a lot of people that still will insist on using Word Perfect for a variety of reasons. We don't need to go into that. But Microsoft Office and certainly Word, just like you said, Stephen, for documents is definitely the standard. And even if you use something else, at some point, if you're sharing a document either internally at a firm or outside with somebody, a colleague or somebody, it's probably going to need to be a Microsoft uh, Word format. 
So as you can imagine, when I talk to people, Mac users, even Mac using lawyers or Mac using professionals, Word versus Pages, I probably always push them to the Word side. I love Pages. I do. And Apple has done a fantastic job of improving the capability and functionality of Pages. But Microsoft Word is still the standard. And so even if you use Pages and and people insist that they use Pages, I say, just make sure you know how to export and convert into Microsoft Word. At some point, you're going to have to do that. And what really is amazing is how good Pages does convert into Microsoft Word documents that can be shared. There's always a little kind of tweaks and things that you might have to, that you might have to make. But Word versus Pages, I always go to the Word uh, side. When we talk about like spreadsheets quickly, I'll just say Excel versus number uh, uh, numbers. Excel is still, I think, for some of the same reasons, the standard, certainly in the professional world. So we, I pretty much have to have it. I mean, certainly if you have a subscription to Office 365 or Microsoft 365 today, then you're going to get that with that. But I would tell you, Numbers is so elegant. It's so beautiful. If I get like a CSV file or something else that I can open in Numbers, it's so much quicker. It's so much nicer. I think the interface to Excel, at least on the Mac, is just, it, there's, a lot to, there's a lot lacking on there. Mm-hmm. Let me jump in for a minute as someone kind of on the user end. On the word processing thing, what I do is just I ask the other side what they want. Um, I yeah. like I have a lot of clients that are um, Apple centric. You know, some of them come from the show listeners right. or whatever they and if they want to use Pages, they've already got it. I can use it. That's fine. And I actually like the track changes interface in Pages yeah. better than in Word. But if I'm doing anything that involves another lawyer, it's just word there's no question you know because they're going to have to read it they're going to track changes you got to use the the system but increasingly with my tech clients they want to do everything in google docs so i think really what you have to do is just kind of go where the audience is you know wherever the person you're working with wants be bilingual be able to use them all and then i agree with you on the spreadsheets it's the same thing like when we do like i did a client that got acquired recently we had this big meeting all the cpas blah 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 everything's in Excel, you know, but when I like want to make like an exhibit out of a spreadsheet, it's always numbers because it looks so much nicer. It makes nice exhibits and it's just, you know, honestly, it's more my speed. I'm not, I'm not a Excel power user. I feel like I can so much easier sort or filter things in numbers, even though I've been using Excel for, for years anyway, but like you said, it, it kind of you kind of have to know your audience a little bit. But but there's something there's something about Excel that they you open it up and it's like cells to infinity. That <laughs> right. is like it's a violation of my, <laughs> you know, of my core being. You know, it's like I as a computer nerd, I'm like, how wasteful <laughs> is that? They're going to make that many. That what what is this? You know, I, for some reason that just that still bugs me. I don't know. The other thing that I run into a lot, David, and and again, I think this may just be on the professional side, but. I run into folks that are trying to use Excel almost as like just a way to organize, almost like a fancy word table. Yeah. <laughs> and so or, or they, database they call me, or whatever. Right. Yeah. And but they call me an upset because they can't type any more into an, an into a cell. <laughs> and it's like I, I forget what it is, Stephen. You may know. It's like it can only hold like forty thousand characters or something in each cell in Excel, which should be plenty for what you're using. And obviously, they're just not using the right tool for the right thing. I don't know if that's really a comparison with numbers, but I just see people unfortunately using tools like Excel for the, for the wrong purposes. And th- that ain't pretty. 
Yeah, see, Stephen is like a pro Excel user. I think aren't you going to write the dummies book for Excel? Didn't you tell me that, Stephen? I'm a I'm a Google Sheets man. Google <laughs> Sheets is where my business runs. Uh, yeah, I'll use Excel if I need to, but the way I kind of view this is, is very similar to how y'all do, where pages and especially numbers are like easier to do, simple things, and it's laid out in a way that makes sense. Where and my and to Microsoft's credit, they, I think they've done a good job at cleaning up the interfaces of their Mac apps over the years. But there's so much stuff in there that I just don't need. I just end up kind of ignoring both of them and going to Google. So can I ask on Google Docs? Because that to me is that should be where everybody is going. Not not just Google Docs specifically, but you know, Microsoft has Office Online, which is right. pretty much the same thing. And of course, Apple has I forget exactly what they call it, iCloud online or something like that. I, I think it's iWork or Pages. Yeah, iWork, yeah, yeah, yeah something. Have. You can tell I don't use that very often. No one does. But and I and I get it. I understand why. But it's people tell me they use Microsoft Word, and I say, you know, you can go to Office.com literally, <laughs> and you can log in with your Microsoft account, even a free Microsoft account, and you can act. You can use the web-based version of Microsoft Word because. Some people will tell me that Google Docs looks a little bit different, but I got to tell you, when it comes to that, it is Google Docs by and far. That's what people are using. I call it more of a collaboration thing, right? I mean, it is a word processor, I guess, although some people I'm sure will disagree with that definition of it. But to me, especially today, like where David and I work in in the legal world, you're constantly collaborating with others on a document, just like we've done for an outline for the show today. Mm -hmm. We've done this. I do this for everybody. Even with David and I, if we've done a presentation together in the past, we'll use Google Docs or Google Slides sometimes even as a way to organize things. And then we'll export it out and and convert it into Word or into a keynote or something like that. And and it just it's just been interesting to me, either because Google Docs was the first to get out in this space and they are they are the name. They're synonymous with that aspect of collaboration. But it they are the best at what what they do. Yeah, and I think it's because that came up naturally with the product where Apple and Microsoft, they're coming from a desktop-centric point of view and trying to add those things to it. And especially, I think Apple's really struggled with that. I mean, the early days of Pages and you know the other iWork apps online were, were really bad, and, and they've improved. I don't mean to, to write them off, but Google has done that from the beginning, so it's like baked into the DNA of those products, and I think that really does make a difference. Yeah, I mean, they're really coming from different directions. I mean, Google is really, Google Docs is really started as a te- an online text editor. And so um, having the synchronization and the collaboration tools made a lot of sense, whereas Word and Pages started out as a word processor with all the bells and whistles of a word processor, many of which still are not in Google Docs. But, you know, at the top of the, pay- at the, top of the whiteboard at, at, at Google is make it sync fast and the top of the whiteboard at Apple, I think is make it a word processor. And yeah, that kind of informs the whole process. But, you know, and I also wonder how many people really need that kind of collaboration. I mean, yeah, it certainly helps for the stuff we do, but I think there's plenty of people out there that don't need it at all. So uh, it, it, I'll be curious to see how it goes. I mean, I remember even like in the early days of Mac power users, where the big thing about Apple was they can't do cloud, you know, and, 
now I've got like 60,000 photos in my photos library and it <laughs> right. just works fine. And, you know, it's like Apple has really um, disabused that um, that thought that they can't do cloud. And I expect that, you know, as they build out more um, server centers and, you know, get better at this, you know, their their own products will naturally get there. But but we are in a weird, weird time now. I mean, Stephen and I definitely chose Google Docs over Pages to do outlines for Mac power users. And we could have used Pages because every one of our guests has a Mac, but we chose <laughs> right. Google Docs, you know. And, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, at this point, that's kind of where where the, the fast sync is. Mm-hmm. I think out of these applications, the one that really is so different to talk about is Keynote. Though, that it is so yeah. much richer and more it's easy it's nicer to work in and it makes more beautiful things than powerpoint i think to me it's so much more fluid and accessible it's kind of the words that that i look at it and i work with people every day that use powerpoint and they worship powerpoint and they work in powerpoint and it's great just like you said steven microsoft to their credit has done some very good things about improving certainly even the Mac versions of these, but even overall, just in general, improving the applications. And I still use PowerPoint quite a bit. I have to interact with it many times, but by and far, Keynote is the better place to go, even to the point where, and I think I've heard Alex Lindsay talk about this as well. Like I use Keynote almost like as a design palette. It's so easy to uh, select like an object or even a text object for example, if I got a text box in PowerPoint, I have to like click the border of it or, you know, to, to, to select it so I can move it around. And Keynote is just so much easier. Plus some little things like the instant alpha tool <laughs> inside yeah. Keynote. I will bring images into Keynote and use that tool and then export them back out that way. Or even for Magic some of my move. videos. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Even for some of my videos, I will put slides together and then export them out as a movie <laughs> and then import them into Camtasia or Final Cut or whatever I, I use. I do yeah. too. I love that. I mean, just the fact that it's so functional in that way. And David, I remember seeing you give presentations using Keynote, even from a legal perspective before. So I know how long you've been using this application as well. Yeah, we had at, at the American Bar Association's tech show a few years ago, they did what they called the uh, presentation shootout it was me on keynote versus a professional a guy who professionally made powerpoint presentations right. for lawyers and um and the feedback i got after the the presentation was man you know you you left that guy dead in the street and i'm like it wasn't me it was <laughs> keynote you know i don't want i want blood it was on my some hands of you too. it yeah. was some of you too david you know but the uh but but you know keynote is it's just, you know, it's really unfair. Uh, like when I used to do jury trials, a lot of times the jurors would ask me for my presentation afterwards, like they were in sales or whatever. And they're like, that was really good. I want to use that that slide deck. And the thing is, and they would always say, can I have your PowerPoint slides? You know, and that's the thing. That's <laughs> that's why the keynote thing is so unfair to PowerPoint, because people are used to going to work and having their lousy boss give them lousy uh, PowerPoint presentations, and they see the same templates and the same fonts and everything yep. at work. They associate it with something that they hate. And then when you bring in Keynote, it's like a ray of sunshine. And it, it's just the fact that it's different is part of the reason why it's so popular. But also, you know, that's the app that Steve Jobs used the most. And I feel like that it started out with that kind of that boost where it got the development support it needed, and it, that has continued. Even the animations or the transitions, yeah. or you know, to your point, David, 
Like, you know, I remember that anvil drop, right? Steve Jobs used that pretty effectively a couple of times and had that little smoke come out of the bottom, you know, when something yeah. drops down. I mean, people don't have that in PowerPoint. There are some tools that are very similar and they've got a lot of animations, but they're just not as fluid as what you can get in Keynote. Yeah, yeah. I, I recommend it, I mean, over PowerPoint for for the development reasons and other stuff. Now, that being said, I've done presentations even recently in PowerPoint because that that's where the other side wanted me to go. So I use PowerPoint and PowerPoint has done a good job of making up the difference, but there's just something about keynote. I feel like their animations are better. Their font rendering is better. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and again, they have that unfair advantage of not being the templates and the slides that people are being, are used to seeing, you know, Steven, do you use Google Slides very much at all? I don't know how many presentations you you give. Yeah, I mean, in the before times, you know, I would usually give a talk or two a year and I would need to make right. a presentation, but I always use Keynote. Um, and it, it's funny, David and I have actually spoken at the same conference before and David's slides are like a sight to behold. Like there's animation yes. and things moving around and he has his words timed to things happening. And I tend to have slides that are basically either just a photo or like one or two giant words. Uh, Cause I just like to talk. And so it was, uh, right. it's fun. David and I speak at the same thing. Sometimes it's like, wow, we have very different uh, approaches, but if you want to see what keynote can really do, David Sparks makes it sing like few others. Well, I, th but I think the method you Steven is very effective for the way you speak. I mean, it's all, you know, finding the right fit. Oh Yeah. But even then, you're still getting the advantage of keynote font rendering and all that other stuff. So, oh yeah, yeah. I mean, if you if you need to make Futura, you know, 198 points behind you on a giant screen, there's nothing better. This episode of Mac Power Users is brought to you by our friends over at Squarespace. They have the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and run your business. From websites with online stores and blogs and portfolios and podcasts. You can build anything you need to with Squarespace, and they have the marketing tools and analytics to back it up. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas a reality. You start with a professionally designed template and use drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products you have on sale, and so much more. If Squarespace tools don't go far enough, you can do really nerdy things like inject code into the header and write your own custom CSS. You're not restricted to what Squarespace gives you, but what they give you is really great at the same time. And of course, all the websites are optimized for mobile, so your content automatically adjusts so it looks great on any device. You also get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade. You have 24-7 customer support ready if you need any help. And they have tools that let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name, make sure your SEO is finely tuned, and even manage your email marketing. So head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And let me tell you from personal experience, you really can build almost anything you need on Squarespace. I've built a bunch of sites on it over the years of all different sizes and scopes. It's amazingly flexible and powerful as well. So once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU and use the offer code MPU for 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain and to show you support for the show. Once again, that's squarespace.com slash MPU. 
So Brett, on the the theme of keynote and PowerPoint, um, I know for having watched you present that you do a lot of work with uh, your iPad in front of a crowd. And I think that's something a lot of people should consider. Um, I think a lot of people are afraid of it. You know, they're kind of used to just having their Mac there plugged in the projector, but but can you kind of walk us through the workflow and the apps and and how you make it look so seamless when you present with your iPad? So similar to what both of you guys were just talking about, I I like to make sure that my presentations are are fairly seamless. And you know, number one, I don't like to read <laughs> slides to the to the audience, and I like to have an idea of what's coming next or what my next slide is, so that. I can seamlessly go to the next thing. You know, there's not a big break. You know, people don't have to sit there and shuffle their feet or that kind of a thing. So in the past, before an iPad, I would typically finish my presentation and then print out the presentation somehow, like even if it was the outline, right, with three slides to a page or something like that. And I would carry around that printout with me because I like to move around. And I typically have a, a little presentation remote or something like that that I would use. And it, that worked out great to be able to know what was coming up next. But ever since I got the iPad, I don't print anything out from that aspect because on the iPad, it's such, similar to what we were just talking about. Both PowerPoint from Microsoft and Keynote from Apple work great today, at least on the iPad. You know, Microsoft didn't even have PowerPoint for the iPad until I think it was 2014, I think, when it came out. But you can use either of those to the point where a lot of times for my, quote, workflow... I'll tell this to a lot of folks too, still create your presentation on a computer just like you always have. And to this day, I still create my power, keynote presentations on a Mac. I, I just, I, I'm used to everything, muscle memory, whatever, what have you. So I don't necessarily create presentations on the iPad, but it's so easy today, either through Dropbox or frankly for keynote presentations, I use iCloud Drive on my Mac and my iPad to get access to the presentation. Once it's done, and then I use the iPad. So the iPad to me is like carrying around like a yellow legal pad. It's almost similar to carrying around the printed version, but I can just pull up the presentation. And once I connect to the projector, whether through Apple TV or even through a, an adapter of some kind, although I always prefer wireless if possible, then I can have a view on my iPad screen to see the current slide and then the next slide, right? And then, or if you are somebody that uses presenter notes, you can have the presenter notes right there in front of you instead of having to print them out. And what I also like about it is I can pull up, I think they call it the navigator, the slide navigator on my iPad so that I can jump to whatever slide that I want if I need to get out of order for some reason. I can jump back and forth if somebody asks a question. And then to a lesser extent, I will even use some of the annotation tools. So on the iPad, you can go into an annotation mode and you can circle something on a slide or use a, a, it's not the best looking laser pointer, (laughs) but David, I know you and I have used that before. Steven, maybe you too, you know, you'll get a laser pointer. You can point things out on a screen and you can do that now, even from, uh, from the iPad and you can do this in keynote or in PowerPoint. So to that extent today, the iPad is my preferred device. Definitely for any presentation, even today, on a Zoom conference of some kind, I, I'm usually joining the Zoom meeting on my laptop, on my MacBook, but then I will wirelessly present from my iPad through my laptop and just share that 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 window, as it were, in Zoom on my laptop, <laughs> and then use the iPad as a way to present because I typically just like to stand up or you know be able to move around a little bit. I know in the the beginning, 
of the iPad, using it with an external display or projector or something was was more difficult. But what are some common things that people need to look out for if they're looking to make this move in terms of compatibility or just things they should know? Yeah, always having one of the more recent iPads is a good idea. Although I'm still using, the only thing I haven't upgraded <laughs> in my repertoire is I'm still using, I think it's a 2018 or 2017 iPad Pro, like the 10 and a half inch. Yeah. But it's still going great. And I love it. That'll be the next thing that I'm going to upgrade. But this still works just fine. Although I always recommend folks have as latest as the latest version that they can get. The typical way we could present wirelessly from the iPad is through an Apple TV. I, I actually have an Apple TV that, like you said before, in the, in the before times, I would travel with a little Apple TV so that I would connect that to a projector or a widescreen TV, depending on the place that I was actually presenting. And usually I would have to call ahead. But the Apple TV, of course, only has HDMI out. And a lot of the places that I present sometimes don't even have HDMI. They have the old VGA connector. <laughs> yeah, it never which dies. Which means that, yeah, exactly. What is that? It's like 45 years old or something. It's crazy. But it's still like the standard a lot of places. So I used to have a little adapter, HDMI to VGA. It worked great, except, you know, just kind of scrunching it down from a digital to the analog version yeah. Does, didn't always work for some projectors and I had to we had to fiddle with the settings sometimes um but I always recommend travel with the adapters right Apple makes both it's well it used to be a lightning uh to it was a camera adapter lightning to well that was the USB but they had a um a, 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 VGA a lightning to VGA yeah. exactly yeah. VGA and then they had a separate adapter that they both cost 50 bucks usually lightning to HDMI and today I think they have a a, a USB-C it may be both or maybe anyway, you can get third, you know, third party aftermarket type devices like this as well. But I always recommend carrying those with you. I'd recommend get the Apple one because I've tried some of the third party ones and they work and then they don't work. And the Apple yes. ones are expensive, but they work. So a absolutely. I always recommend that people just give me pushback because of the price. But I'm like, it's it's going to work out best. Just just trust me on that. But yeah. I always carry those adapters because. If I go somewhere and the wireless does not work for some reason, then you have the adapters to fall back on. And then the other thing, I know this is really getting a little bit nerdy, but it's things to look out for. It's like the audio, right? If you're going to, if you plan to play a video from your iPad or something, you know, HDMI will send audio and video. But if it's an Apple TV connected to a projector, sometimes the projector has a speaker built in, which is absolutely horrible. So you have to like, work with whoever you're you're uh, uh, working with a lot of times i work with a lot of av folks at hotels or conference centers where i'm where i'm presenting and you have to make sure that all of that is set up vga doesn't have audio so typically you have to have an audio out somehow some way or figure out how you're going to do that if you even have audio that that you uh include in that way yeah and the trick with that is if you're listening to mac power users you're kind of nerdy so like right, I, exactly. I one I of the tricks i do is um I have my bag of adapters and when the audio guy or the V or the, the AV guy comes up to me as I'm right. about to speak, I actually lay the bag on the desk so he can see, Oh, <laughs> this person like knows what the heck he's doing. You know, he knows. Yeah. And, uh, and then I'd say, okay, where, what's the audio plug? And yeah, you, know, you just kind of talk through it with him. But right. Uh, I totally agree with Brett. If you buy an Apple TV and put it in your bag, I would say like 95% of the time I speak anymore, that's all I need to do is plug in the Apple TV yeah. and then plug in that HDMI. 
And also, I would people don't realize that Apple TV creates its own wireless connection, and you don't have to. Like, yes. It used to be you had to create your own wireless network at the same time. You don't have to do that anymore. I found that the Apple TV has to have Wi-Fi turned on and maybe Bluetooth too. I don't know if both of them have to run, but you don't have to connect to anything. It doesn't have to be connected to a wireless device, exactly what you're saying. Because a lot of people get confused. Well, if you turn on Wi-Fi, that means you have internet access. No, not, not always. Preferably, yes, but you don't always have to have that. And then, of course, your iPad has to be have wire, Wi-Fi turned on as well. And exactly what you said, David, it creates an ad hoc kind of a wireless connection. I don't know exactly how it works, but it works beautifully. I feel like that's a problem that like they had in Cupertino. You know, it's like <laughs> right. when, when you build a headquarters and it takes 10 minutes to get from one side of the building to the other, uh, they had to have some way to be able to present because people are going to forget and, you know, it's going to take them right. a half hour to go get their cable. I'm just going to throw in another quick adapter and another trick that I found. If the Apple TV doesn't work, which I find more and more it does, I will typically have my laptop with me, David. So yeah. I... I have adapters on here as well that I can go USB-C out to HDMI or VGA even. And for whatever reason, sometimes that connection works with whatever, wherever I am presenting, right? The laptop, the even the Mac, will connect okay to the projector, but I still want to use my iPad. So yeah. I found you know, there was a couple of these mirroring applications that have been through the years, but one of the ones that I found has worked the greatest for me is called AirServer. I think it's maybe 15, 20 bucks for a single license. And so that runs on my MacBook Air. And then as long as it, and usually it, I do have usually some kind of a hotspot that I'm carrying with me, even if it's off my phone, right? Yeah. So the MacBook Air or the MacBook Pro is connected to my hotspot and the iPad is connected to my hotspot. And as long as that happens, I can literally AirPlay from my iPad through my MacBook Pro and then the MacBook Pro is already connected to the projector. And then people don't even know. Like, I can walk around the room with my iPad and I'm literally presenting through the MacBook Pro. And frankly, that's how I do a lot of presentations remotely today over Teams or Zoom. I will just open up the Air Server window on my MacBook Pro, share that through Zoom, and then I use my iPad to present in the screen that way. And it's worked out great that way. So that's at least one other uh, tool I have in my belt. When I go to places, if if the Apple TV doesn't work and nothing else is working, I can pull out my laptop. And sure enough, a lot of times that would work for whatever the projector they're using or whatever reason. You know, sometimes they go through boards and all kinds of stuff like that that just doesn't read it all the way or correctly. Then I find that is like one of the last last uh, ditch efforts. And it usually always works. Yeah, And, and you can all, also always just get yourself like a 20-foot HDMI and a 20-foot VGA cable. Right. And it, I've done I that. I hate that. Like, you can't. I know. I know. I hate that, though. <laughs> yeah. I know. But I, I've had situations where, like, I, I was in a in a um, Central Valley courtroom in California where they they were lucky to have AC outlets, much less anything else. And we, we <laughs> and they had, like, these old brick walls and, the, and just nothing was working Wi-Fi based. So we, I just plugged in the cable. Jury didn't seem to care, you know, and um I wasn't able to roam as much, but otherwise it was fine. Uh, now, just real quick, you had mentioned Air Server. There's an Air Server hardware device, but you're talking about just software, right? Just the software. Like you're right. If you go to AirServer.com, I, I know that they're pushing that device. I, I don't use that. I, I use Apple TV. But if you do that little drop down, I think there's like an Air Server for Windows. There's an Air Server for Mac, and it's just that little software utility. 
And I don't run it all the time. It's just when I need it, I just pop it open. It runs in the menu bar and you have a few tweaks and settings you can do there. But it has it has never failed me every time that I've used it. It's rock solid. And once you go into full screen, once you open that on your Mac, go into full screen, you're just sharing. It's almost like it's just simply reflecting the iPad screen. And is that how you're doing the Zoom thing too, where you share yeah. your iPad during a Zoom call? It is because, you know, if you go into Zoom today, if you have one of the latest versions of Zoom, you can basically airplay directly in Zoom when you hit share screen, right? One yeah. of the options will be an iPhone or an iPad, either through a wired connection, if you connect it up or through uh, wireless. But in some of the cases, I find that that just, it, it mirrors. There's a couple of apps that I use, David. Uh, one of them, I think I mentioned, or maybe not yet, TrialPad, that basically presents a different view than what I see on the screen, right? Yeah. So I found that AirServer, for whatever technical reason, it lets the iPad read it as an actual external monitor or, or, a, or an external screen. And so it is still allows me to use the apps in the way that they're meant to be used. Those apps that I go into that has a present mode versus just a, you know, a, a simple uh, a desktop reflection, as it were. Yeah. Well, that those are really good tips, Brett. And I, I, I think a lot of people would like to use an iPad for presentations and they're afraid of it. And I'll tell you, there's a t definite cool factor when you start walking around and annotating yeah. your slides with your pencil and you're just walking around the audience. It's, it's got a very like Ted talk, you know, feel yeah. to it. And it really, I think it resonates with the audience and that the ability to jump to different slides that's just really not possible when you're holding a clicker connected to a Mac. So it actually gives you a little more power. Or if you're on a Mac and you want to go to a different slide, you have to get out of present mode, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I, yeah. I don't like people seeing that all the time. Like I like yeah. it to be as smooth, but yeah. yeah, it's it's the way that I go for sure. Now you use other apps than Keynote though for your presentations, right? I do. There's a couple of ones that uh, I'm typically always Keynote, although I can use PowerPoint and a lot of the same things that we've been talking about apply to PowerPoint as well. There's one timeline app that I've really liked. It's a it's a gentleman that's been developing under the name uh, B Docs, as in as in the honeybee, B E E D O C S. I don't know if, if it's been updated in a long time. It's still available out there. I think it's only a ten dollar app that you can download for the iPad. I don't use it a lot, but if you've got a couple of events that you want to show, you can you can bring this up, and it's a very interesting 3D kind of a fly in fly out type of a mode. Uh, so I will use that for like certain things to do um, uh, timelines, obviously. And you can attach yeah. pictures and different documents there. Now, that that app is actually made by a friend of mine. He's a piano oh, player. and a, But but I believe uh, he has he is not no longer actively developing it, but it still works. Okay. And I use it, too. And yeah, for 10 bucks. It, it, I mean, I've tried other timeline apps and they just don't look any good. This one has like a nice look to it. I would love someone to develop a timeline app for the iPad that looks and I mean, I, there's a couple out there. I've tried a few, but nothing. First of all, this is what I still go back to <laughs> and yeah. I like it. Um, oh, I can't. Is his name Adam? What What is his name that develops it? Adam Behringer. Yeah. Well, I've met him once or twice and he's a super nice guy. Like I said, I don't know if it's actively being developed right now, but um, that's still the one that I turn to because it's just the most polished. Yeah, it was made with finesse, you know. So many of these are just ugly, yeah. Exactly. But that is also a a good example of one of these apps I'm talking about that has like a present mode. Because once you go into the present mode, right, you can see the events listed on your iPad screen. But if you're connected to a projector, 
they don't see that list, right? They they see the actual timeline, and then you can whatever you tap on your iPad screen, it will zoom into that event on on the actual projector on the screen. If, if that makes sense, it's just yeah. it's a it's a it's a present mode, is what I call it. Yeah, and I'm not sure all the listeners know about this, but there is a method for app developers on iPad to have a separate display on the pre- on the screen on an external display. And right. if you give presentations, these are the apps. These are the golden apps. You know, like MindNode does it, BDocs does it. Oh, okay. um, you know, and and so you actually have to code it into your app. Uh, so there is kind of like a way to get separate data on an external screen, but it's only if the app developer actually accounts for it. And then uh, this other one on your list here, TrialPad, is the king of that, really. Exactly. Now, this I, I always tell people, David, don't get hung up on the trial part of trial pad because this is meaning like a legal trial, right? This is designed yeah. for trial presentations and most people will be familiar with it because you've seen, you know, movies like the rainmaker and, and things in the past, although it's never quite that, <laughs> that fun. Uh, but this app is what I call more of like a, a, a dynamic uh, ability to present it. And I, and I say that because with a keynote or a PowerPoint, it's more linear, right? You yeah. design your slides and you know, you can go to the next slide, next slide, next slide. But with TrialPad, the idea is you can bring up a, a, an image or a document and you can do what we call a call out. You can draw like a rectangle around a paragraph or a sentence and it zooms that out, that little section. So the document is still behind it, but then that little section that you selected or drew a rectangle around will zoom out. And then you have the ability to highlight text and you can also do some annotations like drawing on it or draw an arrow or circle something on there very, very effective functions to make sure that your audience is looking at exactly what you want them to look at, right? If you just put up a a document there and you say, hey, I want you to focus on, you know, paragraph three. Well, most people are just going to start reading at the very top and just keep on reading. They're going to ignore everything that you say after that. Yeah. But if you can show the document and then do a call out or zoom in to one specific paragraph, nobody, people don't have the don't have the option. They have to look at what you want them to look at. And so even though this was originally designed, in fact, I just talked with the developer earlier today because they are continuing to do some great stuff on that. It was designed for trial presentation, but I've gone to even universities and talked to professors about, you know, when you're bringing up a a document or something like consider using this, Don't, don't get hung up on the trial part, but this is a great way to make sure that people are paying attention to exactly what you want them to look at, as opposed to reading everything, everything else on the screen. Yeah, I've not experienced a better way to present documents to an audience, regardless of whether it's a trial or not. And, and in addition to all the tools Brett mentioned, there's highlight and redaction tools and everything you yeah. want. And the cool thing is you control this on the iPad but the audience doesn't see it. You push a button yes. on the app and then it uses that feature I was just talking about to send the cool animation to the screen. So whether it's a projector or a big TV, they see the end result. They don't see you putting it together and you do it dynamically. If somebody asks you a question, you can zoom in to that one paragraph and highlight the words that answer the question and then push a button and it animates onto the screen like you know somebody from Pixar designed it. And um, it's just great. I had a, I might've told this story, Stephen, tell me if I, if I have, but I one of my last trials I did, I'm officially out of the trial business now. Cause I, I'm, I just don't want to do it anymore. But the, um, <laughs> one of my last trials was a, a real estate case and it was against a big fancy law firm. And the case was up in, um, 
in a, a sleepy community of um, of California. But we went to the trial. So I show up, you know, with my iPad and my suit and my shoes shined. And the other guy shows up with the the partner, the associate attorney, and the tech guy, right? And the tech guy. Yeah, they had a tech guy there for the whole trial. And the first day we're there, the tech guy like forgot the HDMI cable to plug in their <laughs> their they have the, these Oops. things they call them Elmos. It's like a projector you can put documents on it, and it's got like a camera in the top and like it's all this old tech. And meanwhile, I'm sitting there with my iPad plugged into an Apple TV and I'm walking around the courtroom uh just doing fine, you know. And um it was a, a trial in two phases and we won the first phase and the second phase was how much money do we get? So we won the, the first half and then after like 6 months later we're getting ready to go back for the second half and the guy's secretary calls me and says Mr. Jones would like to know what that thing was on your iPad you were using for the trial. <laughs> That's great. You didn't have the guts. To, I said, well, tell Mr. Jones to call me. And I'll tell him all about it. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, I'm not letting you off that easy. You got to call I'll me. Ha- I'll have my people call your people. Yeah, I know. Anyway, but th- th- I mean, so this app is like, I don't know how much it costs now. It used to be like around a hundred bucks. I think they're on a subscription model now, but they do. And they are. And and there's other apps that go along with it uh, on that. But just quickly, to get back to the point that you made, what is so beautiful about it is that you have all of these tools on your iPad screen. But when you go into that present mode, it's just basically a, a blank screen that they yeah. that the audience sees, whether it's a judge or a jury or a conference room or a client or, yeah. you know, a, a, yeah. a classroom, it doesn't matter. But then, you know, they only show what you want them to, they only see what you want them to see, whatever document you pull up. And then you can freeze frame at a certain point and take some screenshots on it. And you can even play some video on it too. It's just, it's an extremely powerful presentation. Yeah. And and the joke is, I mean, uh, legal software is way overpriced. And like Mr. Jones had a a guy there to run this like multi-thousand dollar software. And at the end of the day, he realized that my little iPad was way more effective Uh and like whether you're giving lectures or sales presentations or whatever, I do think this app is, it just, it just scratches an itch that I'm not aware of any other app doing. Well, I guess that's enough of the trial pad commercial. <laughs> <laughs> no, that sounds awesome. I'm making a note for myself to check it out. Yeah, but it's a great app. And it's, it's another one like Steven and I love apps made by small development houses. This is the guy who develops is there's a single developer and I think his wife right. does marketing and she does uh, just a very friendly guy who, who's just trying to make a great app. And, and I, I like seeing those guys succeed. This episode of the Mac power users is brought to you by pingdom. Go to pingdom.com slash relay FM and start monitoring your website performance and availability today. To get instant alerts when an outage occurs or site transaction fails, use offer code MPU for 30% off. Pingdom from SolarWinds is an essential tool for any online business. While you've been listening to this podcast, how would you know if your website has gone down? Would you know if customers couldn't click that buy button or fill out a trial form? You might stumble across the problem by luck, but that means you've already lost out on new customers. You need something to tell you everything is running smoothly on your site, and more importantly, when it isn't. So you need Pingdom. Pingdom detects around 13 million outages every month. That's more than 400,000 outages every day. And for as low as $10 a month, Pingdom helps keep your site online. It doesn't matter if you're a startup or a Fortune 500 company. You need real-time alerts about critical website issues. 
and customization is how you're alerted, whether it's via SMS, email, or your team's collaboration apps. Pingdom even tracks and analyzes your website's load time so you can see what's affecting the user experience. If you have a website, you need Pingdom. It's that simple. Take charge of monitoring your site in minutes and go to pingdom.com RelayFM right now for a 30-day free trial with no credit card required. Then when you sign up, use the code MPU at checkout to get a huge 30% off your first invoice. Thanks to Pingdom from SolarWinds for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. Brett, part of, of what you do when you go in and speak to people is you come armed with a lot of information and a lot of tips, you know, small things that can make people's workflows more efficient and less annoying. I was wondering if you maybe share some favorites with us. Absolutely. It, this is always the most fun, even when David and I have been able to get together at a conference or so, and he and I typically may sit and have lunch, but it, it, inevitably there's like 10 more people that show up and we just kind of start sharing these tips. And it's always good, right? People want to know like, what, what is something new that, that I may not know? So uh, yeah, ha- you stop me whenever we've had enough on this. Uh, one of the favorite that, that uh, I keep telling people, especially if you have an Apple watch, it's always connected to an iPhone. In fact, I think Apple just released a, an ad for this. I think they call it Haystack. So you can go search for Haystack and, and put this out. But, you know, I, I love the Find My Service. I've been using that for years and years. But if I know that my iPhone is just in the other room somewhere, or maybe in the car, but I know exactly where it is, but I got my Apple Watch on, as long as the Bluetooth is turned on, which it always is anyway, if you swipe up from the bottom of your Apple Watch, you've got, there's a, I call it a little shaky iPhone icon. <laughs> and you just yeah. simply tap that and it just starts pinging your iPhone wherever it is. And I've used that probably more times than I want to admit, but, but it's just great that it's so accessible. I wonder how many Apple watches have been sold for that feature. You know, it's like you strap something on your wrist and it pings your phone. Okay, give me one. Right, right. Yeah. I, like I said, I just saw an ad like two days ago or over the weekend where, where uh, I think it's called Haystack. And it's great. It's got a Kitty Wells song in it. It's absolutely fantastic. So that'll help. Another couple of tips that I have, a lot of work that I do with professionals is converting things into PDF files. Like either maybe an email that they want to convert to PDF because they want to save it somewhere into a document management system or a website that they want to save and preserve so they can highlight it or something like that. So a couple of tips on this. On an iPhone or an iPad, anytime you go into an email and you go into the print function, which is <laughs> which is always kind of hidden under the reply and forward function, but or maybe it's a little bit different now, depending on whether you use 14 or 15, but you go to print, or if you're in a website in Safari and you hit print, you get this little box that says, what printer do you want to go to? And you got a couple of options there uh, for black and white, although iOS 15 has more options, which is great. But at the bottom, you have this little tiny print preview. And I found that if you just take your thumb and forefinger and spread your thumb and finger apart, it generates it automatically into a PDF file. I love this tip. I use it all the time. Again, if I've got an an email that I just need to preserve somewhere or a website or a note or something like that, any place that you have a a print preview, you can just spread your finger and thumb apart and create a PDF. And then you can save it into uh, your files app or I use PDF Expert is my uh, uh, preferred app that I use to annotate PDF files. Yeah. I can't help but feel like though, this is Apple gaslighting us. It's like, yes, we have the ability to add the feature, we're just going to make it impossible to find it. Yep. 
and I find that I, I've shown that to so many other people and, and they're just like, wow, that's fantastic. Now, again, you know, this is the audience that I work with. They, they don't yeah. have a lot of time to find these tips exactly to your point, David. Uh, but it is something that's hidden in there that is so useful, at least for me, it is. Yeah. In a similar uh, aspect, I used to get annoyed more than anything else of screenshots <laughs> on my iPhone, especially once the home button was taken away and I would always pick up my iPhone and I would inadvertently hit the volume up and the on-off button on the other side and it would create a screenshot. I kind of like it now. I've gotten used to it, maybe because I've avoided doing that all the time inadvertently. But if you tap on that little image that goes to the bottom left corner, you can pull it up. There is actually a way that you can uh, either save the photo, you can edit, make some small edits to it, crop it. Sometimes I'll do that. If I'm taking a picture of like a, a business card or if I pull an image off of somewhere. But at the very top, you also have a little button that says, I think it's called full page. And if you tap that, especially if you're taking a screenshot from Safari. So you're in Safari, take a screenshot, you tap it, you only get the first little screen of an entire lengthy document. But if you tap full page, it will actually give you the ability to save the entire website or the entire article typically is what I'm doing it for as a PDF file. And then I typically throw it into PDF expert or something similar so I can annotate it and then I save it somewhere else as a PDF file. Yeah, that's a good one. Okay, good. I'll keep going. So on, on the Mac, I just quickly, cause I've got several of these mixed in. I, it, it, it pains me to watch somebody using a Mac and not taking full advantage of the trackpad. And this is usually a MacBook air or a MacBook pro, right? Um, you know, most people know how to obviously use the trackpad for what it's worth. And then they will click it. I immediately turn on the tap to select. So I don't have to click it all the way down. I also turn on the secondary click, you know, working in the windows world, I, I always, always right clicking all the time. And I know the Mac, we used to not have the right click functionality. I still call it that. And I use it constantly throughout the day. So I turn that on with two fingers. In fact, I was just working with the lawyer the other day and and she's like, you keep mentioning right click. Like, what is a right click? Yeah. <laughs> and she was on a MacBook Pro and I had to explain to her and we had to go turn it on to the system preferences. But yeah. the other three things quickly I love is, are the two other things is three finger swipe up for mission control. Use that constantly throughout the day. I love having the big picture. And then three finger swipe down is, I think they call it app expose. So that if I have two or three Word documents open and I don't know which one to open up, Sometimes I'll use command uh, tilde, right? To yeah. switch between the different documents. But typically I'll use that three finger swipe down so I can see them all and then I can go to the one that I want to go to. And you have yeah. to, I, a couple of those you got to turn on in system prefs. And, and mission control is really useful on a laptop screen because, you know, you just don't have that much real estate. Mm-hmm. And uh, the uh, the bonus one here is better touch tool. You know, if you get the, yes. If you get down to the swipes with your trackpad, then you got to upgrade to a better touch tool and then like your world changes. There was a thread in the forums, I think. I'll see if I can track it down where a bunch of listeners were sharing some of their better touch tool trip tips. And, um, you know, we got smart listeners, so they're doing really cool stuff. So I got a couple of other Mac ones quickly. You guys stop me whenever <laughs> whenever there's right. enough. Hit me, but, man. Hit me. Uh, I, I saw this posted, I think, maybe about a year ago when everybody was going Zoom, the Hand Mirror app. You guys probably saw this as well. It's a free app. I don't even know the developer, but it's great. Just Google Hand Mirror. And what I it's a little, uh, little hand mirror that shows up in my menu bar. So anytime that I get ready to go in on Zoom call, I can pop that open quickly and I can make sure I usually use a green screen. So I make sure that that's lit up correctly and, you know, I'm, I'm not, it's not bleeding off the edge. And then obviously make sure it's... 
I have no spinach in my teeth, something similar to that. So Handmer is a great little app that I use. I had never heard of this, but what a great idea. I mean, I, I was using Photo Booth, you remember? You know, I would open <laughs> Photo Booth to look at myself. This is I so used much to better. do that. Yeah. Exactly. What's great is that, I, again, I don't know the developer, you, you'll be, you, everyone will be able to find it, but even on there, if you don't understand exactly, he's got somehow it's coded in the website to where you can try it out on the website. Now you have to give Safari Yikes. permission to use your, yeah. your camera. Yeah. I know I don't do that because it's a free app. Just download it. Just trust me. If you're doing zoom calls, it's worth having on uh, so that you could just check everything before you, you jump on live. All right. Give us some more, Brett. Uh, okay. So, <laughs> on the Mac, and I know this is this is just going to open up a whole can of worms. I think I've made peace with the Touch Bar. <laughs> that's good. I'm not sure it's about yet. to die. So I, that's I know, good. I know. And just as long as I, <laughs> but I got to tell you, I didn't, I, I, I haven't been able to really fully incorporate it into my workflows. And I, and I, I suspect it's just because, <laughs> as we were talking about the old Foggy days, I'm just not used to it, right? I mean, I never had that interaction. But I will tell you the one, the couple of things that I do use it for, and I never knew this until a few months ago is the brightness slider and the volume slider. Normally I would tap it and then I have to like take my finger off and slide it up and down. But if you just tap and hold your finger on the brightness button or the volume button, you will just move your finger right and left. In other words, you don't, it, to me, it just cuts out half of a second's worth of like picking my finger up and trying to find the right slider and tap it. Just tap and hold and then you can slide it back and forth. And that's pretty much the extent of my touch bar <laughs> tips on there. <laughs> yeah. Not a whole lot, but well, I like you, it. once again, I'm going to get you on better touch tool at some point. Cause you can really like amp your game with that app. The thing is I, I, I have followed you for so many years, David, and I love all the things like keyboard maestro and Steven. I know you guys use, you know, all of these apps, but I got to tell you, I wrestle with that, whatever that line is to cross between either simple and uh, functional versus boy, I could spend probably two weeks learning how to how to use something and be so much more efficient after that. <laughs> but I don't know if it's either worth the time or somehow for some reason I got this fear in my head and I hear other people say this too. I don't want to get used to using something on a Mac in case I got to go to another Mac and it's not there. You know, like if keyboard maestro isn't installed on some which yeah. when you think about it, that's an absolutely ridiculous thought. <laughs> Cause I'm never going to be using somebody else's computer that long, you know, without having it on there. But I, I wrestle with that. I just wonder if you guys have a, have an answer to that or can help me with my nerdiness. Yeah. I, I think you need to get over it. Honestly, I, I don't <laughs> okay. really understand that. I mean, like, I, I get the same thing with like launchers, <laughs> like, Oh, I don't use Alfred, but if I go to my wife's computer and then I hit the command space, it's just going to give me right. the fine, you know, a spotlight and that'd be horrible. Well, you know, I guess right. it'd be horrible for the 10 minutes you use your wife's computer. Right. But It'd be more horrible if you installed Alfred on someone else's computer without telling them right. that's more yeah. suffering than you need. Yeah. But I mean, all these like like keyboard maestros is a good example. Their rule syncing is is spot on. I mean, you know, I yeah. just recently reset a Mac, and all I did was point it at the folder, and all my rules were there. So it's mm -hmm. not that difficult. But you know, to each his own. And I do think there's an argument to be made that like, hey, you spend two hours figuring out how to save yourself five seconds. Well, how many years is it going to take you to get those those five seconds? You know, that those two hours right. back at five seconds. I, right. But but for me, uh, you know, first of all, part of it is my job to come on the show and tell people what works and what doesn't. And 
Um, and I enjoy it. It's fun for me. So right. I don't really look at it as time lost, but, but also as you build those muscle groups, all of a sudden you find yourself doing a whole lot of stuff that just isn't possible. Otherwise, like yeah. I was just talking to someone recently and I don't remember, <laughs> I don't even remember what, but they, they were telling me about some app they got that does this thing. And, um, I'm like, oh yeah, I just wrote a keyboard maestro script that does that. And it took me all of like two minutes. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it just, that stuff does kind of pile on for itself. But in the case of, um, where I was going with the better touch tool, if you have a touch bar and Steven and I have both blogged and talked about it on the show, but right, I really right. feel like, you know, why not have it show you today's date and weather or whatever your next appointment, you know, why don't you put some good use to that space and, and better touch tool. It, it really is trivial to do something like that. You have a tip in here though. I wanted to talk about, um, oh, yes. Brett gang, Brett gave us like a pile of tips. So <laughs> you, if you ever get a chance to see him speak, you gotta go. It's quite a show, but the, uh, one here that I, we've never talked about in the show, but I think is a really good idea is naming your stuff. Explain that one. Yeah. I think I get annoyed. Well, again, I, I started traveling just a little bit and I did a whole lot more in the before times, Stephen. I just love that. Um, but, you know, anytime that I would jump on a plane or I'd go into a hotel lobby or something, I would open up my Wi-Fi and I would see all of these different phones. And it would be like John's iPhone, Amy's iPhone. And I'm not saying that I try to connect to them or anything, but you can go in and first of all, you can name your phone. If nothing else, just make it something unique. It doesn't have to be named for you, but just name it something unique so that you know what your phone is named if in case that it ever came up on that or more than other, I find for like my uh, my AirPods, right? Or my I just got AirPods Pro about a month ago. And of course, I don't know where I was for all those months before that. But uh, I have regular AirPods that I typically sometimes will use if I go running or something. And then I have AirPods Pro. And I name them so that I know exactly which ones that they're going to connect to. It gives... The, the iOS typically always gives a default name to that. It'll be like Brett's iPods or, or Brett's AirPods, that kind of a thing. But I just always go in and say, you can go in uh, to rename your phone. You go to settings, general, and then about. And at the very top, you can you can name your phone something different. Just so then it's at least a little unique. That is also helpful for like Find My service, right? If you go in, like I have my whole family and I can look at their different devices. So I like to rename them all so that I know exactly which device that I'm looking at, obviously, on there. Uh, and then to rename your AirPods, just go into the Bluetooth settings. And then there's that little I with a circle, the info uh, logo or the uh, symbol over there. Tap on that. And then you can go in and, and at the very top, you'll see where you can rename uh, your devices. It's not that big of a deal, but it does make a little bit of a difference to me again on the Find My Service or just making sure that it's unique enough that you know it's your device so that it doesn't get confused with others. And just to close the loop, you want to explain how you change your name on of your Mac? Because that's another one people want to do. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I this didn't mean to great. do that to you, Brett. No, <laughs> I love it because I was wondering, it's like, I wonder if I do that. I think probably because I know I do this when I set up a new uh, Mac, right? Like you have the option to do that at the very beginning. And so yeah. once I set that up, I typically don't ever go into it. But uh, so in sharing on system preferences. Yeah. And, and that's the same thing. You go into a hotel, you don't want to see Maybe you just don't want your name identified with your computer. Exactly. Like my, 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 um, my laptop is always red five, you know, and that, so now the whole world knows my laptop's red five. Next time you go to Mac world, just look for red five and you'll find me. But the, um, but you know, that it's just like easy. Then I always know it and it doesn't have my name attached to it. And I kind of prefer right. that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of system preferences, Stephen, didn't you 
post on this maybe a while back. I'm not exactly sure. Like you can customize your system preferences window. Yeah, I did a little video. Is you? Yeah, it was. So you can set it in alphabetical order and you can hide yeah. preference panes that you don't use. Uh, it's pretty neat. I I, will I remember never, that. That's a good video. Yeah, you'll never find them unless you alphabetize them because the ordering doesn't make much sense. By much sense, you mean it doesn't make any sense. Well, it's like way back in like Lion or something, they had titles. And so it's like, oh, these are the user settings. These are the computer settings. But then they got rid of the labels, but kept the sections. It's a mess. System preferences is bad and needs to be rethought, but you can reorganize it a little bit. All right. So what have you guys named your devices? I just got to, I got to close the loop on this. Steven, please tell me it's not Steven's MacBook. Just like you don't even know me. Uh, mine are all ISMH, the handle I use on okay. Twitter, plus yeah. whatever the thing is. And so yeah. my Mac Pro that I'm sitting in front of is ISMH Pro. My MacBook Pro is ISMH MBP for MacBook Pro or ISMH yeah. 12 Pro Max for my phone. Pretty straightforward. Yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Brett? What almost, you? almost exactly with Steven on this. I, I, it'll be my two initials, BB. Like it's the BB Mac Pro or BB iPhone. Uh, they're starting to get a little bit long now. It's like it's like the BB iPhone Pro <laughs> Max <laughs> on some of those. But typically, that's what I do. I, you know, I don't put a name. It's something similar to what Steven is doing. And again, it just it's so much easier. And, and I do this even with my my family's devices. So like my wife's iPhone or my kids' iPhones, I can. I can name it appropriately too, so that you know we don't get confused on any of that. Yeah, my my. <laughs> okay, so you guys want to guess which uh, fandom affects all of the names of my devices? The teach us your ways, Obi Wan. Yes, there you go. Uh, the phone is always BB eight. The iPad is always R two D two. The laptop's always Red five, and the uh, the Mac. If there is an iMac, it's a it's a Yavin four. Wait, the phone is BB eight. Yeah. What? Yeah. Okay. What was it before? We had BB eight. Uh, it used to be R two D two, but I felt oh. like BB eight is smaller. You mm-hmm. know, yeah, yeah, that, yeah. You know, I he's get a little it. more mobile. I see that. And then I I downloaded the BB eight ringtones. I just you know I did a thing with it. Like you know I mean, what what do they call those like adult men who are like, into My Little Pony bronies? I'm like. I'm like that, but for Star Wars. You wow, know? man! You know, I'm gonna like get the ringtones and the wallpapers. I've, I've got a whole thing going here. Okay, for my for my little pony. No, except for Star Wars. <laughs> except for Star oh, Wars. Okay, the okay same, I'm sorry. Okay, I've got the okay. same level. Okay. I've got the same level of, you know, the same level of of engagement. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a brony. I guess I should make that clear. But, not that there's anything yes. wrong with that. It's just not no, your thing. there's nothing wrong with that. Hey, it's man, not your thing. You be you, but that's not my thing. Yeah, real quick before we go, Brett, we like to close these interviews touching on some favorite apps or services that maybe didn't make the the main show. So what are some things you'd yeah. like to get in here before we go? Oh, yeah. Oh, so obviously, 1Password, no question. Got to have that. Just the, just the integration today on the iPhone and the iPad. To me, I mean, it was always great on the Mac, but just the the way it has evolved over the years on iPhone, it's just absolutely amazing. And even just quickly, I know you guys talked about like the medical records that they just came out with. Um, yeah, my uh, we actually several months ago I lost my father, but it was it was a whole thing with having to manage like all the paperwork with his 
uh, office visits, you know, the hospital stuff. And we had, and then we're going into like the estate stuff, all that. I, I keep all in one password. It's just great to be able to know there's a secret location or a secure location where I can keep all that. And of course the other one is text expander. (laughs) That one, that one does have to go to any new Mac. Like that's probably one of the next things after Dropbox, I got to have text expander on there. So I have already bought into the idea. Like you got to have some of these additional apps on there. The other one, uh, I know you both, you guys have probably talked about as well is paste the paste app. Loved this. I needed a copy paste. I'm constantly copying and pasting text from one place to the other. And I needed a clipboard history. And I also wanted something that would easily allow me to do paste plain text. I'm copying from either a different Word document formatting or Google Docs or a website somewhere. And I don't want to bring the formatting. I just want the plain text. And that the paste app is what's constantly running on my Mac on there as well. So those at least are the, the top. Another one that I've been using recently is called iMazing. Love this app. I reviewed it because it is a great way to, you know, without with iTunes leaving the Mac and I would do local backups. It's almost funny. We used to, in the old days of the iPod, right? We were we had to plug the device into the Mac in order to download movies or music or whatever. And nobody does that anymore today, except that if I've got large files, I want to copy over to an iPhone or an iPad, or I want to do, I do want to create a local backup. Uh, there's different ways to do this, and you can still do it on the Mac. It's all kind of built into the Finder now. But I use iMazing. I think it's about forty dollars for each license, but it's so much more. I can do things like export out my text messages or export out voicemails. Anyway, it's fantastic. There's others like this. I know Phone View has been around for a long time, or iExplorer is another one, but I find iMazing to be one of the best ones on there. You've inspired me, Brett. You know, everybody comes on the show, they've got a favorite clipboard app. I think we're going to have to do a, a clipboard shootout, Stephen. We're going to yeah, just like I think cover right. them all. Oh, so that would be so good. So, listeners, if you uh, if you have your favorite clipboard app of choice, let us know because I think that's that's coming up. It's going to have to happen. I, I still know, of course, you guys mentioned, you know, Alfred and Launchpad uh, or Launchbar. You know, yeah. those have been around for years and those are great. And I, I love used them both. Uh, I just don't need them all. Sure. And to me, the Paste app has just absolutely fit the perfect spot. It's a sweet spot. It's just a visual interface. Anyway, you can look into a little bit more, but but I would love for you guys to cover Paste. That, that would that, be great. That's, that's on great the show. list. It's on the list. Because I, I think Beautiful. that you're right. I mean, there's not one tool that is perfect for everyone. Some people, right. you know, just want it occasionally. They don't want to spend a lot of money. There are some that are just about plain text. There are some that are about more than money. I just think yeah. there's a show there. We just got to do the research. So yeah, I'm just thinking about our poor computers preparing for that. And we hit paste and like nine applications. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> it's like, going to be bad. It's me. Yeah. <laughs> there's a certain amount of pain that comes with show prep and you just got to live. With yeah. That, sometimes you yeah. just got to throw your computer in the river afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> well, Brett Bernie, I am so glad that you came on. And what I said at the beginning was true. When I go to these legal conferences, the only person everybody wants to hear from is Brett, you know. And uh and once my ego recovers from it, I realize this guy is really special. So I'm really glad you came on the show. I I remember it always the other way around, David, but it's very kind of you to say that. I appreciate that. This this has been a dream come true, truly. I appreciate you guys uh letting me uh, join you today. Okay, so if you are um, legal affiliated and you're interested in what Brett does, he's got a website called BernieConsultants.com. Yes, sir. And uh, especially he's got another site called AppsInLaw.com, which is great for anybody that works in that in that field. There's lots in there to learn from Brett. 
Um, he has uh, he does uh, YouTube videos on occasion. Um, he has a new podcast out with um, um, with Jeff Richardson, who's been on our show as well, called yeah. the In the News Podcast, which really is I know it's kind of a legal thing, but it's not really a legal thing. It's really an Apple no. thing, in my opinion. Right. Um, and then you can find Brett over at B Bernie, and um, you can talk to him there. A uh, really great guy. One of us, you know, another fellow nerd. And uh, thanks so much for having, coming on, Brett. Uh, the the audience doesn't know, but we literally um, skipped over like half the outline. So that's a good sign that you're probably going to come back at some point. Oh, that'd be great. Thank you. I'd like to take a quick break here at the end of the show to tell you about Clockwise, which is a podcast here on Relay FM. It's a weekly roundtable that covers four tech topics in just 30 minutes. Dan and Micah host it every Wednesday, and they welcome two special guests from a diverse pool of tech pundits, writers, podcasters, developers, and more to talk about whatever's going on with tech this week or even timeless tech topics. You can catch the live stream every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific or subscribe and never miss an episode. Go to relay.fm slash clockwise or search for clockwise wherever you get your podcast. Well, we are the Mac Power users. Thanks for coming by. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. Everybody get over to Kickstarter. Help Steven out with those amazing calendars. If you know somebody that has a, a bad calendar on their wall and they need a better one, just get one of Steven's. That's what I'm going to start doing. And uh, <laughs> thanks to our sponsors, 1Password, Squarespace, and Paintem. And we'll see you next week.